Hello and welcome to episode 83 of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we're playing it, we will be talking about it. Today we are recording on May 26th, 2018. My name is Corey Motley. I'm a staff writer at GameCritics.com. I'm also 50% of the show. Joining me as always is Brad Galloway. He is the editor at Game Critics. How are you, Brad? I am exhausted, dude. I am really tired. (laughs) (laughs) And we are really tight on time today. Do you want to tell folks why we're doing a short show and a late show, or should I? Uh, I feel like I don't want to, like, push you under the bus, but I feel like because you're so busy and because the short show is all your fault (laughs) that um, (laughs) maybe you should explain because I probably couldn't even explain it if I tried. No worries. No worries. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, if you're a fan of the show, uh, we are publishing this episode way late. I'm proud to say that we didn't miss a week, but we like basically almost missed a week (laughs) because my 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 schedule has been really crazy. I've been um, working like crazy hours. Um, I don't want to talk about it like a lot, but I mean, if you follow me on Twitter or I'm actually I restarted my Instagram um, profile again. I did it a while ago and I kind of quit, but I'm doing a little bit there now. So if you follow me on Instagram or Twitter, you've probably seen that I'm um, actually working on a a local production of The Hunchback of Notre Dame. And so that is taking up all of my time. It's a lot of work to uh, put one of those shows on. And I'm working like 12 hour days. And it's just like, I just, I literally do not have time for anything. And so this was the only day of the week that we could squeeze in a podcast. And it's not even a regular show because I need to get going to work soon. So we're only going to have a very, very compressed amount of time. So I do apologize, folks, that we are off our schedule. And I also apologize for not uh, delivering the regular cornucopia of content that we have mm-hmm. lately become known for. But we're doing the best we can, and I'm really happy we didn't skip a week. So we'll do a short show. And I'm hoping that next week the hours will ease off and we'll kind of get back into a better schedule. But uh, we will see. We will see. But for now, we should probably uh, plow on ahead and uh, get some stuff recorded. Well, you left out the part where in your job situation, you have recently become a television star because I saw you on a news segment on TV and I was very impressed with all of your abilities, should I say, on TV. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so part of my job is doing some PR for the show. And so... We did go on TV, like a local uh, show, which came on right after Good Morning America, I think. And then we're going to be doing another one next week on the local Fox affiliate. Uh, So we'll have a couple TV spots up. And it's always nerve wracking because even though, you know, we do this podcast all the time. And I've been on TV before a couple times, not a bunch, but a few times. It's just it's super nerve wracking. Um, just to be in a studio and people filming you. And, and if anybody's listening to the show and you haven't seen the piece, you can go back in my Twitter feed. And I think, Corey, did you retweet it on the, the So Video Games Twitter? I retweeted it from my personal account, but not from the So Video Games account. Okay, so if anybody's listening is a fan of the show and you want to see me on TV, go ahead and go check either my Twitter or Corey's Twitter and you'll see the clip. It's only like three or four minutes long. It's not very long. Um, so you can check that out. And uh, I probably will post a link to the next one when the next one comes up. But yeah, it's always like... You're in the studio and the lights and you're rolling and like you, you got to get everything right. And it's just like it's it's pretty nerve wracking. Um, so and also it feels weird because right before I went on uh, on camera, 
the makeup lady came and she like covered me with like makeup and it was I don't wear makeup very often. In fact, I don't wear makeup at all. And so to go on camera covered, you know, cover my entire face plastered with stuff was a really strange feeling. But anyway, anyway, go check that out if you want to. And uh, send me your feedback if you uh, have any feedback. And I'm always happy to talk about it, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, anyway, yes, minor, minor TV star, Brad Galloway. <laughs> All right, enough of that uh, self-aggrandizement. Let's uh, let's roll on and let's talk about some games, man. Let's do that. Um, I full stop have not heard of the first game you're going to talk about tonight, but I have heard of the second game. Um, it looks like you've been playing Wizard of Legend, which is kind of a generic video game name on Switch. Uh, what's going on with that? Tell me about it. Okay, so Wizard of Legend, you are absolutely correct painfully painfully generic title i really <laughs> wish they'd pick something else uh i didn't know anything about it until i saw it pop up on the switch uh eShop, and i'm like oh well this picture looks kind of neat and maybe i'll click on it and see what it's about and it is a kind of a top-down roguelike so you know i'm already halfway in when i say the word roguelike oh boy uh, i know right <laughs> um pixel <laughs> art game where you play a wizard who is doing these like wizard trials like the whole thing is like oh you're an up-and-coming wizard there are three badass wizards who are already like in charge of everything and you just want to like make a name for yourself and and take these trials so it's very game-like in presentation and they don't really make uh you know any bones about that they're like yeah you're just in these in these dungeons killing these dudes, doing these challenges, and you want to beat the three wizards, and that's really what it's about. So there's no, like, there's no, like, story or, you know, don't come to this for, like, the narrative quality of it. But what they actually do offer is pretty awesome. So it is a it is a rogue light, I guess, because um, what happens is you start the game with, like, four magic spells, and each magic spell is mapped to one of the buttons on the uh, Switch controller. And so... You run around, and each one has a cooldown, too. So, like, your your basic magic spell is almost like a melee attack. So that one has practically no cooldown whatsoever. Like, you just attack, attack, attack. That's fine. You'll have, like, a signature move, which is, like, a pretty powerful move. Uh, for me right now, it's like a giant fireball. You, like, fire that off, and then you've got, like, a three-second cooldown. And then you've got, um, a, like, a, a movement magical ability. Uh, there's several different ones. The one I'm using right now is, like, you dash forward and then leave, like, a trail of, like, flames behind you. And that stays on the ground for a while and burns anybody that's in its path. And then the final one um, is the one that you're going to end up probably changing the most and using the most. And it's called, I want to say it's called the the main or the custom or whatever. Whatever. It's like you're, you're the one that is probably the, you're going to be playing with the most. And so there's like a whole bunch of different ones. And uh, you switch through them. There's like a couple elements. And between all the elements, it's like earth, fire, air, and electricity. And then there's all sorts of different ones. And then there's like a billion. So the whole hook of the game is that you can change any of these spells in and out however you want. So like if you don't like the one that leaves a fire trail, you can switch that. And it'll just give you like, uh, it'll make you shoot an energy ball. Or if you don't like that one, it'll give you one where you can jump real high in the air. If you don't like that one, you can change, I mean, whatever. You can totally customize your wizard as much as you want. So what you do is you go into these dungeons, and the dungeons are randomly generated. There's a whole bunch of little dudes in there. You kill the dudes, you collect some uh, crystals, uh, get as far as you can, and then if you die, you keep the crystals, you go back to like the hub world, and you buy more spells. And there's like a, like a jillion spells to buy. I have not 
even gotten near close to buying all of them. And there's also artifacts you can get, and your person can only equip like one artifact at a time. So the whole the the gist of the game and the whole point is like pick an artifact that complements the spells that you have, and then change your spells around so that everything you've got is like working in harmony. So like maybe if you really like the melee attacks, find something that gives you like more melee damage or something that gives you like more criticals when you do the melee, and then find a melee that has uh, a really strong attack or one that like has more attacks or something. So like you kind of play around with it, and I think that is really really, really fun. Uh, I enjoy it very much. The action is really super tight. The controls are totally dialed in. Um, the graphics are great. I mean, they're on the simple side, but I think in a good way because it's, everything is very clear to see, like you're never wondering what's going on. It's never muddled or blurry or, you know, confused. And each battle you get into is kind of its own thing. Like you'll be in this little top-down dungeon and there are some hallways, but then you get into a room and the room will lock itself down and you got to kill everybody in the room to, to advance. And then all the different guys will show up. So sometimes you'll be in a room full of archers and you're like, oh, shit, I don't have any ranged attacks. So I'm kind of screwed. I got to like dodge a lot and then get these archers down before they can shoot me. Or sometimes you'll be in a room with like a lot of melee guys or sometimes it'll be a mix or sometimes it'll be turrets or sometimes it'll be, you know, whatever. And so each room is kind of like a little challenge that kind of tests the build uh, that you've made for yourself or the loadout that you have. And so it's just really like, it's a ton of fun to like buy all these different spells and like put them together and see, oh, if I have this fireball, then I can set this guy on fire. But then while he's burning, then I can do this other thing that like intensifies the fire or I can, you know, hit him with all these other things. And so just kind of playing around with that is really, really cool. Um, we talked last episode about Survive Mr. Cube. You remember me talking about that briefly? I do. So that was a cool roguelike, but the problem with that was like nothing really interesting or varied happened when you played it. But that is absolutely not true. And that's really what makes um, Wizard of Legends so good. Because, I mean, what I've described is not really that far outside the norm for a standard roguelike or roguelite these days. But what makes it so good is like it's absolutely dialed in. Like the controls are super tight. Like the action is really fast. Like, the spells all feel different, and, like, they, they give you, like, the sense that you can really craft your own kind of character. Um, the little encounters in the room are all really interesting from a tactical sense because, I mean, you're, you're meeting so many different situations, you just can't settle into, like, one pattern or one routine. So, I mean, it does absolutely everything perfectly. So it's not... It's it's like getting, like, a, like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Like, it's not fancy, <laughs> and anybody can do it. But, like, when you get one, we're, like... The crust has been cut off. The bread is super fresh. The peanut butter is nice and not too oily. The jam is sweet, but not too sweet. I mean, like when it's like when every element is done to perfection, like it's really delicious. Not anything fancy. You're not going to find it in a gourmet restaurant. But like when it's perfect, it's perfect. And like these guys have like totally, totally got it nailed down. I mean, if you like roguelikes or rogue lights or whatever, and you like fast action, I mean, it's 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 basically like almost a perfect game in many respects. So I really, really like it a lot. Um, it's also great because it's on the Switch. It's also on other consoles as well. Uh, but I think it's perfect on the Switch because you can play it in bite-sized runs. I mean, it's, it's very challenging. Uh, so you can jump in, play for five or ten minutes. You unlock a new spell, feel like you did something, turn it off. And so you have this really brief, compact experience. And you feel satisfied by that. And it's just really perfect for on the go. Uh, so I will say, I mean, I basically don't have any complaints about it at all. I mean, really, really, really minor stuff. If I had to maybe pick anything apart about it, I would like to see maybe more categories of spells um, 
so I said there was four different categories and like one of them you get like the most spells in. I don't know what it's called, but it's like your main attack. You get like a jillion for that one, which is fine. I mean, I would like to see a few more spells in the other categories. I think uh, I haven't gotten many of those yet. Maybe I just haven't found them or maybe they'll unlock later or something. But so far I would like more entries in the other categories. Also, I will say it's actually pretty difficult. I have not beaten the game, not even gotten even close to beating the game. Um, how it works is you you go through two regular dungeons and then fight a boss, two regular dungeons, fight a boss, two regular dungeons, fight a boss, and then a final fight. Uh, I have gotten to the f- the first boss and have not beaten them at all. So there's still like two thirds plus of the game left over and I haven't even gotten that far. So I am nowhere near beating this game. Really, really tough. But at the same time, it it remains playable and fun because every time I play, I basically unlock a new spell. And so I feel like even though I didn't win, I, I did something. I made some progress and I, you know, I'm going to get a little further. Every spell I'm getting is a little bit better than the last one. So if I keep going and don't give up, I will be able to finally make a build where I'll, you know, I'll take down that first boss. And then once I get that out of the way, I'll work on the next one. So uh, it's it's really good. It's just it's great. I don't really have any complaints about it, any major complaints. And I think it's well produced, looks good, feels good, good content, good design. I mean, everything about this is pretty excellent. So despite the fact that they kind of dropped the ball in the super, super generic title. Uh, <laughs> other than that, it's it's pretty fantastic if you like this style of game. I have a left field comparison to make for this game. Are you ready? Oh, okay. Here we go. I'm ready. I mean, this isn't really that obnoxious, but whenever you're talking about this, it reminds me of the... We're going to go back here a little bit. It reminds me of the Game Boy Advance game, Castlevania Circle of the Moon, which I think is one of the best in the series and underappreciated gem because that game has a card system where over the course of the game, you, you have two categories of cards and like the top row is all elemental ones. So it's like fire, ice, wind, you know, plant, dark, light. And then the bottom row is all like one of them is like uh, a modified whip attack. One of them's like a shield. One of them's like a, I don't know. There's like a bunch of different ones, but over the course of the game, you can mix and match the cards as you collect them. And maybe you can have like an ice whip or a flame whip, or maybe you'll have like an ice shield or some kind of like poison shield, or maybe like something that gives you XP faster or something where you can heal if you're standing still for a while and stuff like that. And you talking about the, like elemental abilities sort of matching and crisscrossing and building on each other is making me think of Castlevania Circle of the Moon. Yeah, that's a pretty good comparison, actually. It doesn't work exactly the same way, but like basically close enough. So if you can imagine that game where you're kind of mixing and matching and looking for really good combos, uh, that's kind of exactly what's going on here, which I think is always a really satisfying mechanic. I mean, giving the player the ability to customize, um, to play how they want to play, and then having like all these different variables that you can experiment with is just, I mean, in itself is a really interesting um, chunk to chew on. So, I mean, it's not really, I mean, for me so far, it's not really about just beating the game, but it's about, oh, like, what can my wizard do? And what, what is this, ha- what happens when I change this out? And, well, you know, how's this go? So, yeah, good comparison. I think uh, not totally the same, but really, really close and definitely in the same ballpark for sure. I have one question before we move on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Whenever you switch out abilities and, like, the elemental attacks and stuff, do you have to pause the game to do it? And if so, do you think that's annoying or does it impede gameplay? Or can you just do it on the fly while you're playing? Um, So when you're in the dungeons, um, I'm actually glad you said this, uh, you don't 
so if you're in the hub world, you can go and like, you know, take as much time as you want and go to your menu and switch those things around. When you're actually in a dungeon, it's like finding an extra new ability is like a big deal because you start out with four abilities. And I, I neglected to mention this. I apologize. But you start off with four. But as you go in the dungeons, if you find another one, it just gets added to what you have. So you can eventually have, I believe, a total of like six or seven spells. I think it's six. So you just add, you just keep adding and just keep adding. And sometimes people in the dungeons will want to swap abilities with you or someone will like want to trade or do something else. Um, and you can talk to them. If you're talking to a person, there's usually no combat happening. But if you find one that's just dropped in a dungeon, it automatically equips. And if you want to change things around, there's no pause. So like you just have to like kill everybody in a room and then just go into your menu. But it's the game is still running and, you know, people can still attack you. But honestly, like... If you clear out a room, you're fine. Like, no one's going to come and attack you. So it's not annoying at all. And it only takes, like, literally, like, one second to, like, switch things around. It's super, super fast. It's not intrusive to gameplay. And it doesn't even happen that often. Like, really, it's about preparing before you get to a dungeon. If you get an extra ability while you're in there, awesome. Doesn't always happen. And usually you just have it on top of what you already had rather than having to, like, really mix things around. So it's it's not a problem at all. Not even, not even remotely irritating. Okay, cool. I was just wondering. I, it makes me think of a... Uh when I was talking about Ruiner like a week or two ago, because there's like a shitload of abilities in Ruiner, but you have to like pause the game and kind of re-equip them. And it's certainly not the end of the world, but if you're playing a game that's kind of based around like fast action and like, you know, reflexes, it's kind of annoying to have to like pause to switch abilities all the time. Oh, totally, totally. No, this is not like that at all. There's like zero downtime in this. This game runs really quickly and like there's no, it's just polished, like it's smooth. Like there's no speed bumps, there's no problems, there's no oh, I wish they had done X, like they, like the, they've just really covered it from all angles. Like this is like a magnificently produced game. So yeah, no, nothing like that at all. Well, cool. Cool. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, super good. Super good. But let, enough about that. Let's, uh, let's turn it back to you, Corey. Uh, you're going to be talking about a game I literally have never even heard of, which is <laughs> <not> weird. <laughs> Boy, we are just like in this competition to like find games that the other person has never heard of. And I think we're both doing magnificently at it. So investigator, what's this all about? This also uh, wins a prize for the worst named game ever Um, because it's literally just called Investigator. I found this on... So, okay, so now that I'm, like, getting into PC gaming a little bit, I have a feeling that, like, I'm going to be a bottomless pit of, like, weird indie games that nobody's ever heard of every once in a while on the show, which I've been doing pretty well lately. And this falls under that category. So Investigator... Um, it's on, I think I bought it on Steam directly, or maybe bought it on the Humble Bundle store, I can't remember. Um, literally, I checked the price before I, when I was writing the script, before we started recording. It is $1.99, so it's very cheap. Um, it is a first-person exploration game, uh, pretty, I mean, you know, walking sim-ish, but it's kind of a horror suspense game, too. Um, it is about a guy, it takes place, I think it takes place in Russia, because everybody in the game is speaking, it sounds like Russian, but I don't know how to speak Russian, so it could be another language that sounds like Russian, but um, I think it's in Russia, and there's like subtitles for all the dialogue, but it takes place, I think, in Russia, and it's in like a post-apocalyptic future where the weather patterns are kind of extremely erratic, so from level to level, it could be like sunshiny or it could be like a torrential downpour or it could be like snowy or you know extremely windy or something so it kind of gives us interesting idea that like at a certain point in the future like the weather like weather systems are going to be so messed up that it's going to be like changing on a dime on like uh sort of like natural disaster kind of situations but 
it's not the game's not really about the weather it's just kind of there and to be completely honest i feel like that angle was just an excuse to give the developer sort of like a tech demo way of showing off different ways that he could do weather in the game rather than having it all be like a sunshiny game or something like that which i think is cool because i'm I'm down for it. I would like I like seeing uh, different kinds of weather in games rather than just playing through one kind of pattern the entire game. But this is a short, took me about two hours to finish it, a short uh, first person kind of like horror-y walking sim where he plays a guy in Russia. I think he used to be a private investigator or some kind of police officer or something. The, the story is pretty thin, to be honest. Like, I can't be like, oh, here's all this grand narrative behind it because it kind of falls into that category of like indie jank that I have been talking about lately on the show, which is a category that I love and I hold dear to my heart. Um, because if I'm not mistaken, I think like one guy made this game or maybe like a few guys, but um, it's first person. You, the objective is to try to get to like a bunker. Like you start out in a boat, this like really small like rowboat, and it's raining, and you're in this body of water, and it's kind of like pushing your boat around. You get to a dock, you get out of the boat, it's still raining. You're trying to find your way to this bunker that you're trying to get to, and I think the objective is that you think that people are living there, that it's like a safe space to be in. But it turns into one of those games where it's kind of a psychological horror game where you're kind of not exactly sure if what's happening in front of you is actually happening or if the character's hallucinating or if, it, like, shit in the future is really, like, this messed up that the stuff is actually happening. Because, like, one of the first things he does is you get off the boat, you walk around this, like, really small village area, you find a house, and he's like, oh, I can sleep here for tonight while it's raining. So, of course, you go to sleep, which opens the door to maybe or not maybe a nightmare sequence. And it turns into the sequence where he's, like, running through these kind of, like, mazy, uh, like, bunker tunnel areas. And there's, like, these big spiders. And, like, there's not a lot of generic things that scare me in games. But, like, if you give me spiders, like, the right kind of spider design or as we talked about on the show a while ago in the game narcosis spider <laughs> crabs spider crabs spider crabs <laughs> like there there's just like a couple things that will get me and like the spiders in this game although i'm pretty sure it's one character model for all, all of the spiders but they're just like ranging in size um because they're they're kind of like um i don't know they just they look like spiders and they have the big like kind of like fang arm things in the front and they're kind of like a grayish brown so maybe they're like mutated from being in this like bunker or something but there's like sections where there's like spiders in the environment and the game the, the game does not have combat and i don't think it has fail states and i was still scared so like that says a lot because if you play a game like this where it doesn't have a fail state and it doesn't have combat you immediately sort of like fall back into this coddled like oh well nothing bad can happen to me because like there's not really like a fail state and i can't fight these things so i just kind of have to go along with it but it still scared me like you'll be walking down a hallway and a spider will like burst out of this vent but it's not in like a dead space way where like every time you turn a corner like a spider's bursting out of like every hole in every vent in the environment like it happens pretty pretty um unevenly so it, it paces it well and there's like a part where you find a survivor and he's like kind of trying to kill you and he's got a shotgun and there's like part of the game where you're like running away from him but it's not in like a like an outlast way outlast is that what it's called outlast where you're yeah, like yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it's like not in a way where it feels like a like a murdery chase simulator. He just kind of like shows up every once in a while, and usually it turns into a cutscene, and he like traps you or something. Um, but I guess like the most interesting thing about the game for me is that it's like really good looking. Like I wasn't expecting this game to be as pretty as it is, but like it's really pretty, and the sound design is really great. Like just like the sound of the weather and the sound of the rain and the sound of like the bunker that you're because your parts of the game are in the bunker and uh, I mean it's not like this isn't like a masterpiece by any means because it definitely falls into that like you know you can tell that it's been developed by a really small team that didn't put like a ton of polish on it Um, and if I'm not mistaken it's actually been out since like 2016 but in the update notes on Steam like there was an update in February where he like lists all the stuff about how he basically like redid the entire game so like i have no idea what the old version looked like but the new one looks great it sounds great it's moody as atmospheric um kind of sort of reminds me of kona that um like northern canada snow survival sim ish game that i played a while back reminds me a little bit of that but not as good but i mean like i don't even know what else to say like it's just like sort of indie jank kind of survival uh, first-person horror-y walking sim thing, but I'm pretty down with it. Um, it has some good intense moments. It has some good, like, psychological horror, like, is this really happening moments. Um, and I don't know, has good, like, weather effects. Like, you know, part of it's rainy, part of it's snowy, part of it's nice. Uh, sound design's great. There's DLC for it that's packed in. I have not played the DLC yet, so I might report back on the DLC whenever I play it in the future, but... Um, I don't know. This is like, I, I like this game. I like it. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, a couple of questions. I mean, first off, I mean, two hours, that sounds great to me because even though I don't generally play these, I mean, I'm always up for like a two hour game. I mean, I like having get in, have the experience, get out. So, I mean, I guess my first question is apart from the graphics and stuff, like, did you feel satisfied by, I mean, whatever, I mean, you said there wasn't a lot of narrative, but, but, but what narrative there was, I mean, did it come together for you? Was it worthwhile or was it just kind of like a toss in just to justify the weather effects and stuff or did you feel like there was an actual story being told or how did that wrap up for you uh well there is like there is an actual story it's not like super duper well presented but it's like the story of this like investigator and he's trying to find shelter and like one of the guys that he meets in the game that the guy that's kind of like stalking him over the course of the game like i think that the investigator had like fail like he had been investigating something i feel so ridiculous because the game is called investigator and i'm gonna say the word investigate like a million times um he'd been like investigating something for this guy that's been stalking him i i think like his daughter was killed and he like didn't close the case well so now like the guy is sort of trying to trap the investigator or trying to like kill him or something so like it kind of has that narrative bit going for it and i mean it has like a distinct ending point. Like, I didn't feel like it didn't come together. I'm not going to say it comes together super satisfying, um, but I also don't know what's in the DLC, so the DLC might, like, flesh it out a little bit more. Um, But it definitely has, like, a distinctive, like, kind of story and ending. Not super-duper well done, but it is there. All right, cool. I've only got one other question for this. So you said that there was no fail state, and you said also there are giant spiders, which, of course, leads me to the question of... (laughs) What happens if you 
are able to, you know, face down your fear and you stand still and one of these spiders comes at you, like, does it just sit there and dance in front of you? Or, like, what, I mean, what, is, what does it do? Like, what happens? Well, I think most of the time when the spiders show up, it's sort of like, a, like, they, they never really, like, chase you or anything. It's like a, you're walking down a hallway and one of them will, like, come out into the hallway and then sort of, like, go back into another, like, spider hole or you'll see one, like, behind a grate in an area and like there's definitely a situation where one confronts you and it's like a cut scene with how it plays out but it's never like you're never like actively running from them or um or like fighting them really they just kind of like appear around the environment and the game does a good job of like because there are certain like hallways and stuff in the game where there will be like spider webs in them and so, like, you kind of, like, maybe know that a spider is close by because there's, like, webs and stuff, like, maybe in little holes or in little hallways. And the good news is that there isn't a spider every time you see spider webs. So it's not, like, a thing where, like, they're popping out everywhere all over the place. But it, it does a good job of maintaining suspense where, like, you see the spider, like, the spider web strands and you're, like oh, God, like, is there going to be one? What's going to happen this time? Like, ugh. And then one doesn't show up. And um, I've said it before, and I'll say it again on the show. The only thing scarier than something happening in a game is something not happening in a game. And this, like, holds that line of suspense pretty well in scenarios like that. But um, no combat, no... There's no real, like, spider chase sequences. So mostly it's just sort of, like, set decoration. But it's used well enough and sparingly enough to where it actually did scare me. And it's still, like... It's kind of in that indie space where, like, you don't exactly know. They don't, like, lay out exactly what all the mechanics of the game are. So, like, it, I wouldn't put it past them if, like, one of them did attack you and there was a fail state, but I didn't experience that in the game. But it's nice because it's in that weird gray area of, like, you're not exactly sure what all the game is capable of and what all it will do to you. Um, but, I mean, maybe there is a fail state and I just didn't experience it. That is a possibility. Uh, but it's it's nice that it walks that sort of, like, line on suspense and you not exactly being sure, like, how the game operates. Cool, cool. All right, well, interesting. Um, not generally my cup of tea, but you do have me kind of intrigued on this one. I might uh, check it out. I guess final question before uh, we move on. Is there controller support, do you know? Were you playing mouse and keyboard or controller? I was playing mouse and keyboard because I, whenever it comes to really easygoing, like walking sims and stuff like this, especially in first person, I'm actually pretty good with mouse and keyboard because you don't have to worry about like jumping and shooting and dodging and like all this bullshit. You can just like walk around and look at stuff and interact with everything. I'm not positive about it having controller support or not. I'd have to look. Um, but even if you're not great at mouse and keyboard, this game is not like technically like razzle dazzle e um too much to be able to navigate it with mouse and keyboard in my opinion all right uh sounds interesting i might check it out any final thoughts uh i don't think so oh yeah actually one really small thing um the guy who's developing it is working on a game called shadow side which is also a pretty generic name um <laughs> he it's on steam i think it's on green light on steam it's supposed to be coming out later this year but it's about like a police officer in a more urban setting um probably similar themes probably similar gameplay but i nevertheless am excited about that so i hope that he finishes it and that it comes out later so i can play that in the future and maybe report back about shadow side cool 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 all right, man. <clears throat> Let's move on here. Um, we do have a hard out today, so we're going to have to uh, 
move with some purpose here. I will <laughs> talk briefly about uh, Descenders, which is currently on Xbox One in their early access program. It's not called early access. It's called like Game Preview or something like that. Uh, and it's also on PC. And although it is technically an early access game, uh, I was talking to the developers and they said that it is in a review ready state so they're going to be adding content to it but i mean apparently from what they're telling me like they're fine with people looking at it as a kind of quote-unquote final version so i will take them at their word and i will treat it as such um developed by rage squid which is a cool name for a studio i don't know that squids (laughs) actually experience rage but if they did that's a neat thing and no more robots you have here in the notes, Corey, and I uh, thank you very much for the notes because I did not have any notes. It's Mike <laughs> Rose's studio. I don't know who Mike Rose is. Do I? Should I know who he is? The only reason I put that down is because I've been following him on Twitter for a really long time. I don't remember how I started following him, but he has like 15,000 followers on Twitter. And I remember him tweeting about this game and seeing it whenever the PC version came out because... This game doesn't look like something I would play, but it looks, nevertheless, it looks like a lot of fun. And like the graphical design of it looks really interesting to me. And so I just wrote that down because I had remembered him tweeting about it a lot because he owns one of the studios that develops it. Okay. So I maybe, I mean, maybe Mike Rose is somebody who I should know. And maybe that's on me for just not knowing or so. I don't know. I'm not sure who he is. So apologies. <laughs> apologies, Mike Rose. If you're listening, I'm sorry. I don't know who you are. I'm sure that you are a very nice gentleman and I will do my research after the show. Um, so what is Descenders? Descenders is a, it's funny, I, I didn't mean to do this, but it's actually kind of like a roguelike again, but not really, <laughs> because it's actually like a BMX downhill biking game, which I didn't realize had a roguelike element to it. I had no real idea until I started playing it. And then, um, I'm like, oh, okay, wait a minute. There's actually, it's like some sort of, sort of, sort of some stuff. Not really though. I don't think that would really call it a roguelike, but Basically, you play a generic dude on a BMX bike, and you are at the top of a hill. And they they kind of start off with this whole thing about like, oh, you want to get some sponsorships, and you want to be extreme and get you know get a job doing this. But like, it really has nothing to do with the game. They really drop it pretty quickly. Like it, it's kind of like it's almost like they had the idea for like a campaign mode or something like that. And then they just like stopped doing anything on it because (laughs) you forget about it pretty quick. It's not really a factor. So you're on this BMX bike. You, as you might imagine from the title head downhill and you go on these different jumps and there's obstacles and stuff. And they make a big deal about the game being procedurally generated, which, you know, man, I just have, I have mixed feelings well, maybe less than mixed because it's very, very, very rarely where I feel like this ever works out for anybody. You know, like people say that it 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 works and that it, you know, you can get, you know, infinite levels, infinite gameplay. You'll never get bored of playing this game because we can have infinite. OK, that that's never true. Like it, the levels usually come out kind of janky or just like they're just not as good as handcrafted levels. I'm sorry. I'm just going to say it like I, I'm trying to think of a game where there was procedural levels and I thought it was amazing. And I i mean, nothing's coming to mind. Maybe there is one that I can't think of right now. Maybe other people know of one. But like every time somebody says procedural levels, I'm just like, oh, dear. You know, like it's just going to be one of those weird algorithm putting things together in a weird way. And that kind of pans out here. Like it's it's fine to play. But the levels, I often find myself thinking, I wish they had just made some levels because like they would be better than what's here. Um, and not to say that it's bad. I'm not saying it's a bad game. I'm just saying like, the levels definitely have that feeling of like kind of bland or kind of like, that's weird. I just rode for like 
you know, a minute and nothing happened and there was just like flat ground here or there was like three curves that I had absolutely no way of navigating. And so why was that made that way? Oh, it's, it's procedural generation. That's why. Um, so they also make a big deal about the game being like an off road or something. I'm, that's not the right term, like off path or something where there's a track. There's definitely a track that you're supposed to be on. But if you don't want to be on the track, you can just leave the track. And so you can just like, you know, turn your bike to the right or left and get off the track and like start going down grassy hills or you're going through a forest or something, which is fine, I guess. But again, it kind of doesn't make a lot of sense to me because you don't really find anything by exploring. And because the levels are procedurally generated, there's not really anything exciting that happens there. Like you just you're just not on the track all of a sudden you're just like going down a hill and it's just grassy like that's not really you know nothing nothing big like you don't ever come across a secret jump or you don't ever come across an amazing chasm or some kind of cave to go through like you just you're just not on the track anymore and the levels are pretty small each time you do a track it's only about maybe like two minutes long um give or take i guess and so the structure of the game is you start off on a map and you want to get to the end of the map where there is a boss jump, which is actually pretty cool. I do enjoy the boss jumps. Um, but you uh, start off in each level, and each level is just really like two minutes long and procedurally generated. So sometimes they're really flat, sometimes they're really bumpy, sometimes they have jumps, sometimes they don't. And each level will have like a bonus objective. Uh, so you start off the game with four points of health. And if you're able to complete a track and complete the bonus objective, you get plus one point of health. So like you start off with four and the track will be like, oh, um, do two 360 flips. And if you can do two 360 flips in that track, then you'll get a you know, bonus point of health. You finish that level with five health and you keep going. And every time you wreck, it takes at least one away. If it's a bad wreck, it'll take two or three away. But usually you're just losing like one point of life. So it's kind of like how many retries you get. And the point is you want to get to the end of the level, get to the boss jump, beat the boss jump, and keep going. So, I mean, it's basically fine. I do find that the controls are really kind of sketchy. Like, I feel like the game can move at a pretty fast pace when you get a good little downhill patch going. And, I mean, much like being on a real BMX bike, like, you start to feel like you're really out of control after a while. <laughs> and, like, it's just really touchy. Um, maybe part of that is the Xbox control pad itself because i'm actually not a big fan of the sticks on the xbox um xbox one controller i they feel kind of weird to me and i just i just never really liked them that much so maybe it's part of that maybe part of it is i feel like the controls are just really squirrely like you just nudge a little bit you kind of go too far or you i don't know i just i'm having a difficult time really getting it dialed in also uh the controls for like doing tricks i don't really like because instead of using the buttons it's like hold down on the right stick to prepare a jump push up on the right stick to do the jump. And then when you're up in the air, move that stick around to like rotate and turn. And I find it to be pretty weird. Like I just, uh, you know, again, I haven't put like a ton of time in the game, but I find that it's really like I'm spinning way out of control the way I didn't want to go. Or like sometimes I'm over rotating or, you know, I'm sure you, you practice and get better. And there are also little modifications you can do to the controls to make them better. But I, it, it, I often feel like I'm out of control or I'm just like one hair away from being totally out of control. Uh, so what ends up happening is I will go down a track. If I, if the track is fairly straight or if I feel like I can navigate it, I do that. But like in one section, there's like a bunch of forest and the forest is like so thick with trees and it's so tough to get through. I end up just like going off the track and very slowly 
uh, riding my bike down the hill, like way off to the side, just like <laughs> navigating through the trees. And then I get to the bottom of the valley and then I just turn left and I go back to the, the finish line and I finish like not actually doing any of the jumps or the or the, the stunts or anything. So I'm not I don't think that's what they intended, but that's kind of how I play that particular level because it's really tough and just I can't get through it without wrecking a million times. Um, and it, you know, it's fine. I mean, it, it's pretty fine. I think that the general idea is okay, but I feel like there just needs to be more content because there's not much motivation to get through a whole series of levels. I mean, doing the boss jump is fine, but you got to get through like six or eight levels before you get there. And some of those can be pretty boring. Uh, again, the procedural generation ends up making these levels where like not a lot is going on. So like, like for example, it'll be like, Oh, do a 360 jump and I'll be in the level and there won't be a single jump in the whole level. So like, how am I supposed to do the jump if there's no jumps, you know, or like, <laughs> or it'll be like, get to the bottom of the hill in 35 seconds. And instead of being a straight shot or a couple of jumps or something, it's like this total switchback back and forth. Like, Oh, this is too thick. I can't get through this and I'm bumping and I can't, there's like no way for me to make it to the bottom or very often the, the bonus objectives don't really seem to match up with the kind of level that the algorithm has made. And so I'm just like, whatever, if I can do it, great. If not, I'm not going to really worry about it too much because it just seems to be kind of rando. Um, but overall, I mean, I, I mean, I like the idea. I haven't played a BMX game in a long time and I, uh, had some fun with those back in the day. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's fine. It looks fine enough. I mean, it's not like a graphical powerhouse or anything. And I mean, I think just the idea of having a roguelike kind of a bike adventure game is kind of neat, but it just needs more to it. Like it needs more of a more motivation. You need like better unlocks. You need, I don't know, just more stuff added to it. And I really, really wish that they had done um, handcrafted levels, at least for some of them, because I, the procedural generation just really shows like it just really shows. And it, 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 it shows you the limitations of what you can do. And it shows you how, Somebody who takes the time to craft an exciting level that has like highs and lows and slow spots and fast spots and jumps in cool places that feels better and is more exciting than something that a computer comes up with because it just, it just is not the same and it feels very, very different. So I spent, I mean, I like I like this game. Descenders is not a bad game. Um, I just think it just doesn't feel like it's done, even though the developer said that it was ready to be reviewed. I feel like maybe in a year, it'll be a much better game. Or maybe if they had put more structure to it, it would be a better game. It just kind of feels like you're riding downhill and nothing really matters a whole lot and <laughs> it's fine, but you know, I, I put it down and I walked away from it and I didn't really feel much pull to come back to it. And in fact, what happened was after I played it for a couple hours and I like it, it's not bad. It's not bad, but I was playing it. I'm like, you know what I really want to play is I want to go back and play some trials. Like that's what it makes me want to play because trials is super handcrafted. I mean, it's way more difficult than descenders, but like, I just enjoy like the jumps and the way that the, the levels flow and the feel of it and the tightness of it. And I'm just like, you know, trials is really difficult, but the, the controls are so tight. Like you always feel like you're in control when you're, when you're doing things. And when you wreck, it's your fault. It's not like anybody else's fault in descenders. I very often felt like the bike was just out of control or like the levels were not conducive to what I was trying to do. And I just, I didn't have that feeling of buy-in where I didn't feel like I was really, really in sync with my rider, which is something that I think is important for a game like this. So uh, went back and played some trials and I'm like, ah, oh, trials is awesome. I love trials. Uh, so <laughs> I don't think that's what descenders is trying to do, but that's what happened. And, uh, there you go. So interesting game. I bet it'll be a much better experience in six months or a year. Um, but if you want to do something like this, it's, it's pretty good. And in fact, um, just a really quick shout out. Did you ever play, um, downhill domination back on the PS2? Nope. This game totally reminds me of downhill domination and, um, no disrespect to Descenders at all, but I feel like Don Downhill Domination, basically same thing, BMX, riding down the side of a hill. I think that was actually a much better game. It was really more exciting, and uh, 
I don't know if it holds up, but I remembered um, having a great time with it back then. And I, I was kind of hoping for a similar experience here. It doesn't quite meet those heights, but uh, it's, it's on its way. It's on its way. I think give it some more time, it'll be good to go. So check out Descenders. If that doesn't satisfy you, I guess check out Downhill Domination and check out Trials as well. But uh, anyway, there you go. That's Descenders. Uh, I will be checking back in on it every now and again. So there you go. And if it's on the Xbox preview thing, that means it's free, right? No, actually not. I believe you do have to pay for it. I don't think any of those games are free, honestly. I think um, oh. I think they all charge. Yeah, I think it's like 10 or 20 bucks or something like that. So it's like it's like an early access kind of a price, but... I don't like paying for early access games. Oh, full disclosure, developer sent me a code for this. Just heads up, FYI. Um, so I played it for free. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, I, in general, I'm not the guy who pays for early access. I don't know that I would pay for this if I hadn't got a code. But maybe in six months, once it's more fleshed out, I probably would be happy about that. But there you go. Yeah, it's, 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 it's not free, I don't think. Okay, that's disappointing. Yeah, sorry, sorry. So there you go. I hate to sound so mixed on it, but I, I am kind of mixed on it. And, uh, there, uh, there you go. That's all I got to say. So let's move on. Let's move on. Enough downhill BMX action. Uh, let's talk about Assemblance 2. I've actually been pretty curious about this because I bought Assemblance a while ago, and I'm pretty sure I bought it because you recommended it. I never played it, but I bought it. And then I'm like, oh, Assemblance 2. There's a sequel. I had no idea. So I guess, Corey, what is Assemblance 2 all about? And I guess just give us the whole deep dive on this. All right. So... I played the first Assemblance, which I'm pretty sure we talked about Assemblance on the show like a long time ago because it went on, the first one went on a PSN sale for like a few dollars. I had no idea what the game was. I looked at it. It looked like a first person kind of like puzzly walking sim. And I was like, hey, this looks up my alley. I played it. And I liked it. Did not love it because it had a little bit too much puzzle stuff going on. But when I saw a few weeks ago Assemblance Oversight, which is the sequel, uh, pop up on the PSN, I also, I had no idea they were making a sequel. I didn't, I mean, I'd never really like looked up the developers or anything. So I got excited about it because I remembered, like I thought back fondly on the first game. And luckily, thanks to the powers of Brad Galloway, I was able to get a code for it and play it. So. I played it uh, over a couple of different nights, and Assemblance is basically, it, it very much carries on the idea of the first one. So in the first game, you're in this like really small kind of test facility. There's a console in front of you, and there's sort of like a, like a holodeck chamber in front of you. And the idea of the first game is that you can queue up these different memories on the console in front of you and then the holodeck turns into that memory you step into it and you sort of like explore that memory and it's one of those games where like you're kind of like not really sure what's going on for most of the game but it's intriguing enough for you to want to stay invested or at least it was for me because there's a certain point in games where like sometimes uh, they don't tell you what's going on and I get, and I'm immediately like, okay, I don't know what's going on. This is dumb. I don't want to play this anymore. But sometimes if they can keep like the suspense or the atmosphere or like the tiniest strands of narrative up, then it's, it's enough for me to like stay invested. And Assemblance is one of those games. The thing that I did not like about the first one is that it devolved into this weird like Hideo Kojima puzzle-like stuff. Where... Oh, that's right, that's right, that's right. This, it, the puzzles got so obtuse, like you couldn't even solve them even after watching a walkthrough, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. And like, Okay, I remember this now. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. and that's exactly what happened in the first game. And I kind of like forgot that that's how the first one ended for me. And so whenever I got to the second one, it kind of became more of that. And I was a little bit like, 
oh God, like what am I getting myself into? But just to back up, the second, the first one is about exploring memories and you kind of are under the impression that the memories are yours and that there's like this underlying narrative going on about like you being a person who developed this technology to like recreate these memories to navigate and maybe you spent so much time at the office that your wife um, was unhappy with you and so there's sort of like some friction between you and like this female character in the game who like pops up as a sort of like ghost-like character or entity in some of the memories um and in the second game and th that was really interesting for me by the way like that that was an interesting thing going on in the first game i liked that the second game is not really kind of like the personal element is taken out of the second game which bothered me a little bit because it basically starts as like the same setup. You're in pretty much the same room, the same holodeck is in front of you. They probably literally like copied and pasted the exact same code from the first game for like the environments, which I'm okay with. It didn't, you know, have to be entirely new because the memory spaces that you explore are new and that's kind of like where the meat of the game is. But in the second one, like allegedly it's about this like team of engineers and team of scientists that are like, working to create a human mind within this like digital like atmosphere rendering like memory space and i like i played the whole game and then i read that description on this i played on ps4 but i read the description on the steam page on pc and i was like that's what the game was about. Like, it's one of those games where, like, oh, no. oh, where you, you play it and, like, you don't know what the fuck's going on. And because they, like, kind of don't have the personal element of, like, the wife being mad at you or, like, the, the ghost-like entity in the levels, it kind of, like, didn't feel as interesting or as personal whenever I played through it. But a lot of it is similar. Like, you go in a memory, you explore it. There's, like, an sort of, like, an AI, like, voice that's guiding you through some of it. And then you get to a point where you feel like maybe you're in spaces in these memories you're not supposed to be in. And so you kind of need to like exit them and you can like cancel the memory at any point and like exit back out into the environment. But you get to a point where like, it's kind of like, uh, oh, like, are you still in the memory? Are you not? Like, are you, whenever you're standing at the console, like maybe you're in this weird like memory loop. And that whole sort of like abstraction storytelling is something I really dig. But it turns in, just like the first game, it turns into this weird, like, puzzle-solving thing where, luckily, I was able to finish it and I was able to uh, figure out all the endings, but I literally, like, had to look up, like, a YouTube walkthrough online to get through it because some of the puzzles are, like, really obtuse and it's stuff that I never would have gotten to on my own, but luckily it's all pretty solvable because um, in the first game, the ending puzzle is so dumb. You have to, like walk into one memory and like zoom in to look at a thing and it transports you to a different memory. And then you have to like stand in the living room of this apartment in a memory and like look at a clock for like one minute. And then you have to open a drawer and then you have to look at the clock again oh, for another minute. Christ. And then you have to run down the hallway and look at a picture in the bedroom. Like I'm not making any of this up. This is exactly what you have to do. And even while watching a walkthrough, I could not finish the game whenever I, the first one, whenever I played it way back when. Somehow, I don't know if they patched it to make it easier. I went back and played the first game last night and I actually did end up finishing it the way you're supposed to finish it on the first try. So, you know, pat myself on the back for that, even though I was literally like reading a walkthrough as I did it. But the puzzle is super obtuse. The second one, the puzzles are obtuse, but they don't involve, like, you looking at something for two minutes, you looking at a different thing for two minutes. Like, most of it is about, like, 
finding like codes in the environment and putting them in, in these keypads and then like going through these like portals that the doors open up and it's really weird. Um, and like at the end of the day, I like reflect fondly upon these games because like the mystery and the atmosphere and sort of like the setup of like exploring memories and like maybe you're trapped in the memories and maybe you're not supposed to be in some of the memories. Like I like everything that's going on. Like that is totally speaking to me. It's totally the kind of like, uh, like thematic stuff that I'm into, but I just wish that they were a little less like obtusely puzzle heavy. And I, and the fact that like I finished the game and then read the, like the synopsis of it on the steam page and didn't even realize that that's what the game was about, like leads me to believe that maybe they could have put just like a hair more like narrative muscle into figuring out exactly how to tell the story <laughs> of the game. Like maybe, just maybe. Maybe uh, more than a hair, perhaps. I mean, if you finished the entire <laughs> thing and had no clue what it was about, yeah, it sounds like maybe they need to punch that script up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's <clears throat> weird. I like it. It's not for everyone. I mean, if you're one of those people who loves, you know, going in and, like, really exploring the entire environment, like, really, like, deep dive on trying to figure out these puzzles, like, maybe this will totally be for you. I love everything about the atmosphere and, like, the that stuff, but I'm not into the puzzle stuff, so... I mean, it's, like, hard for me to recommend it, but it's also hard for me to, like, write it off because I like it, and I like the way the game makes me feel and that, like, sense that during the entire game I'm just sort of, like, squinting, like, with my mouth, like, agape, looking at the screen like I have no fucking clue what's going on, and I like feeling like that in a game. Um, but whenever it comes down to weird puzzles and stuff and the game not exactly guiding you thoughtfully to where you're supposed to be going... It just kind of, I just kind of get bored and then frustrated and then I feel like not playing it anymore. I mean, <clears throat> you said that you kind of look back on this, these kind of things fondly and it's, I mean, like hearing you describe it, like, I'm like, uh, I'm trying to find some reason why I would ever <laughs> want to play this and I'm like hearing nothing. Like you're just like, you didn't know what the story is about and there's frustrating puzzles at the end and like, you didn't, and I'm like, uh, this sounds like, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I guess just like, like at this moment, like right now, literally, like what, we, like how do you feel about this game? Like what, like would you actually recommend it, or is it just like a weird kind of thought experiment to play it? Or I mean, like what, like what is your takeaway <laughs> from this? Uh, I, uh, I, I don't think I would recommend this. Although I like the way the game makes me feel. Like, it makes me feel the same way I felt whenever I played, like, Virginia, for example, because that's the kind of game where it, like, you go through it and you kind of, like, don't know what the fuck's going on, but it's, like, intriguing enough for you to, like, squint and stay interested and stay invested. But the nice thing about Virginia is that it's not having you revisit environments over and over again to solve these weird, obtuse puzzles. It just takes you through the game. Whereas Assemblance 1 and 2, it devolves into this weird puzzle-solving experiment. So, like, I don't think I would recommend it. Maybe on, like, a really big sale. Like I said, I think I picked up the first one for, like, a few dollars on PSN when it was on sale. I have no doubt in my mind that the second one will be on a similar sale maybe six months in the future. Um, I would recommend it at a very cheap price, but... Uh, I can't remember what the full price is for it. I want to say it's like 10 bucks or something, which 10 bucks isn't bad. Like, you know, the game's a couple hours long. It's not that bad of a price, but there's just not enough like narrative meat in this game to keep me invested the way I want to, even if 
the themes and the suspense of the themes is sort of up my alley. Yeah, you know, there is something to be said for what goes into crafting a memorable, well-rounded experience. Because I think, I mean, I think it's probably easy to come up with a good setup or to have elements which have proven to be, you know, are intriguing or that build tension or that are, you know, that make you curious about wanting to see more. But the, the real trick is like landing, landing that end. Like you got to really like, I mean, I mean, to me anyway, I don't feel like it's enough just to start something like you got to finish it. And I think endings are a lot harder than beginnings. Um, if you ask me, I mean, I've seen a lot of games that kind of sound like what you're describing, where it seems like it starts out pretty good. You're kind of interested. And then like, it just doesn't go anywhere or it doesn't wrap up enough or it doesn't give you enough of a hook to really feel like you got something out of it by the time it's over like i think really the trick is is coming up with that ending so it seems like maybe this game perhaps fell into that trap yeah it kind of does and something to piggyback off of that very quickly um that i read i read this in a developer interview i cannot remember who the developer was i want to say it was somebody from idis montreal maybe that worked on deus ex but i could totally be getting that wrong um i had read once that and somebody had asked them a question about like beginnings versus endings and why games you know often seem to like fizzle out at the end and there's you know a lot of muscle at the beginning of the game and the guy that they were interviewing um said something i had never thought about he said something about like you know 100 of the players that play your game are going to experience the beginning of the game but only like you know 20 percent or whatever like whatever the stat was are going to experience the ending so if you have to choose which one to put more muscle into, obviously you're going to choose the beginning because that is what everybody's going to experience. And I mean, of course, there's something to be said for like keeping that pacing through the entire game. But that is a point I definitely agree on. Like if you know everybody's going to see the beginning of your game and only like X amount of people are going to stick around for the end, then of course you're going to put more, more like planning and more effort into the beginning of it. I've heard that quote multiple times I don't know if it was that same one but I've heard I've heard at least a few people say that over the years and it always leads me to believe like that's bullshit because <laughs> I mean I, I hear what they're saying and it makes sense under the current circumstances but like I don't think any author in the world starts out writing a book and thinking well I'm gonna really like polish the hell out of the first 10 chapters because no one's gonna finish my book like they expect people to finish the book when people make a movie, those filmmakers expect you to finish the fucking movie. Like, are games the only medium in the world where they fully expect, like, 80 or 85% of the audience to, like, vanish before they get to the end? That's fucking insane. And if that's the truth, why? Is it because games are too fucking long? Because they're too full of bullshit? Because <laughs> they're boring? Because they... I mean, like, like seriously, like, from, artistic, from an artistic perspective, I can't think of any medium at all that fully expects the audience to vanish before they get to the end. I think every artist out there wants people to experience the work in entirety. That's like the whole thing, like a beginning, middle, and end. There's a vision there. There's a something that they're trying to impart to you. I mean, I, I'm trying, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's some other medium out there where people don't get to the end of it, but I can't think of anything besides games where, where a fucking developer can sit there with a straight face and say, yeah, we're going to lose 85% of the audience before we roll credits. And if you know that, why don't you want them to get to the end? It's totally fine with you that you lose so much of your audience like you expect people to. Like, why is that okay? Why do you not want to end the game with an ending? Like, why do you why do you want to lose those players? I mean, is it that mentality of where, like, oh, well, people, if they don't get 200 hours of gameplay, they feel like they've been gypped. But, like, clearly those people are not making it to the end. Who actually needs 200 hours of gameplay, you know? Like, if most of your audience is not taking advantage of everything that you're offering, then why are you offering that much? Why don't you offer them 
as much as they can finish. Why don't you offer them as much as they want? Because clearly something is broken here. I mean, just from that perspective, I'm baffled and boggled, and I just don't get why anybody would bother making a product that no one is ever going to finish. Like, that is the fucking definition of insanity to me. Well, I mean, I'm assuming that they're basing their findings on some kind of data about, like, who, how many people actually finish games versus who doesn't finish games. And I mean, I would expect that any developer would want to, would obviously want their audience to finish their games. I mean, I don't think any developer out there says, oh, I'm going to make this game, but I don't want people to finish it. But I mean, the fact that video games are long and, or they can be long or are difficult or, you know, people just stop playing after a certain amount of time. I mean, a movie, it takes like three hours tops to finish a movie I mean, a book, like, I mean, I don't think anybody opens a book expecting to not finish it. Um, but games are just a different, it's a different medium. I mean, games are fighting you every step of the way to finish them, which is kind of the point of them, but it's also unlike any other medium. Um, so I'm assuming that they're basing this off, like, evidence of, you know, X amount of people play X amount of games and, you know, only this amount finish them. I mean, I don't think... I would certainly hope that a developer would not make a game and be like, oh, well, we're not gonna, you know, we don't want our players to finish this, but based on data of like who, how many people do and don't finish games, I mean, obviously they're gonna, I don't know, focus on the parts that they know everybody will play. But like, look at it this way. So like, if you're looking at your data and I know that that game developers collect all sorts of data, especially the bigger publishers, they got like data up the ass. Like there's just so much data. (laughs) So like, if you're looking at your data and you say, okay, so we made this game, game X, Y, Z, whatever, and only 10% of people finished it. Okay. So that means 90% of people didn't finish it. Okay. Well, how much, how much did that 90% play? If we made this game and it's a hundred hours long and only 5% got to the end, but you know, like 75% of the people played you know 50 hours or whatever well why don't you just make the game 50 hours then because (laughs) you're you're spending all those time and effort and resources and man hours making an extra 50 hours a game for five percent of people who are going to see it so like fucking scale that back save the resources like those let those developers go home don't crunch anymore let them take a fucking day off let them go see their fucking families and then just make a game that is more reasonable because i i don't understand why they would make something that only the tiniest fraction of people are going to get to. Like if, if the ma- the vast majority of your audience is only going to put in 20 hours, make the fucking game 20 hours. Like I, <laughs> uh, it drives me nuts. I don't, okay. That's, that's a conversation for another day. We're running up against our time limit. I'm sorry. I've dominated your, your segment here, but uh, assemblance good. too. Hey, good stuff, right? Assemblance <laughs> <laughs> too is mediocre stuff. A mediocre stuff. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. We're gonna, I'm, I'm, we're gonna, we're gonna. I, I feel like this is something we need to discuss more because it makes me crazy. I gotta get to the bottom of this. Maybe I'm gonna go on Twitter. I'm gonna investigate. I'm gonna do some uh, interviews. I'm gonna run and find out what, who, why put in the effort for that extra fifty hours. But we're not gonna answer that question today. So anyway, I'm not gonna sleep tonight. Uh, <laughs> we should probably wrap it up though, sir. You want to bring it home? I would love to. Um, Somehow we had an hour show and still got four games in, which is good news. Um, but after that game discussion, this brings us to the end of the show. Uh, remember, you can stick around after the ending music to hear tonight's banter. Brad and I talk about surprise movies. We talk about movies. Who <laughs> saw that coming? Um, so if you want to hear us discuss the movies, then you can stick around later. Uh, if not, you can bail now and we will catch you next week. Uh, In the meantime, remember that you can send us any comments, thoughts, feedback, ideas, anything else you'd like to at our email address. It is 
so video games podcast at gmail.com. You can also post comments for the show on the Game Critics page whenever it goes live. You can also post them directly to the files on SoundCloud, but there is a chance it might be three weeks before I see them. I'm just kidding. I'm trying to stay on top of that right now, uh, but you can post them there too. Uh, you can also get a hold of us on Twitter. Our collective show on Twitter is at SoVideoGames. And you can also reach us individually on Twitter. Brad, would you like to give out your Twitter handle? You can find me on Twitter. It's uh, my name, Brad Galloway, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y. And I'm pretty sure that's my Instagram, too. I don't know. I forget. But I think that's, I think that's it. <laughs> I need to look you up on Instagram now that you are reactivated. I need to look you up on Instagram now that I'm reactivated. Yes, you can see all the hunky dude pictures that I post on Instagram. Because I need more of those in my feed. I need more hunky dudes in my life right now. <laughs> well, you can also reach me on Twitter. It is also my first and last name, Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. And for what it's worth, that's also my Instagram handle. So if you're listening and you want to see some hunky dudes, you know where to go. Um, <laughs> among like parkour pictures and skateboarders and stuff. So there's all that stuff too. And cat pictures. So, um, But that is the end of episode 83. Brad, do you have any closing comments before we sign off? I have no closing comments, but thank you very much for listening, folks. Thank you very much for putting up with our erratic schedule, and I hope we're <laughs> going to be back on track pretty soon. Yes, 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 yes. But nevertheless, we will still get out one show a week, no matter how short or how erratic. Uh, but this is the end of this episode. We will be back next week for a, another episode. But until then, this is bye from Corey. And bye from Brad. We'll see you next time. All right, man. What uh, that feels like it's been like forever since we talked. What have you been up to? Oh my god, I actually, I've had a lot of. Well, I haven't really had a lot of stuff going on, but I actually have things that I could talk about. Um, mm-hmm. because our time is limited, I will throw out two topics, and I will let you choose the one you want me to talk about. How does that sound? <laughs> yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah, I mean, same. I uh, why don't you? I'll choose one. You tell me about one. I'll tell you about what I got. And then, like, write down the other one. We'll talk about it next week. Because I actually had a bunch of stuff to talk about, too. And I'm like, nope, 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 nope. Don't got time. So, all right. What are your what are your two options? Well, the first one is that I saw Deadpool 2 on opening weekend, which was now last weekend. And my second topic is that I finally mustered up the courage and probably financial bad decision making to buy a brand new camera which happened to be about two thousand dollars whoa okay all right i would like to talk more in depth about um the camera and the photography stuff next time because i feel like that's gonna be a larger discussion let's do <laughs> let's do deadpool since that probably won't take too long and i've actually got a movie to talk about too so we can uh maybe do one two punch of uh, movie coverage <laughs> that How's sounds that? pretty par for the course for us all right, I figured as much. Let's just do a little. Uh, oh, but, you know, I guess. Well, okay. Well, we're not. I was gonna say we should explain why we're doing a short show, but they're not gonna hear it till the end, so we can talk about it later. That's fine. All right, what up with Deadpool two? Um, did you see it by chance? I did not see it, but Gina and I are planning to go see it. So, I mean, tell me, you know, tell me about it. It's totally fine. But if there's anything like mega spoilery, then maybe hold back. But yeah, I, uh, I'm interested to hear about it. Okay. Well, I mean, uh, okay. So, like, first things first, I. 
saw the first Deadpool when it came out like a couple of years ago. And like, to be honest, I think that like I support, I guess, like the franchise and Ryan Reynolds and everything, because this is obviously like the career of his or not the career, the the role of his career, if you will. Like, you know, everybody's like, totally, totally. He was like, you know, born to play this role. And I totally agree with that and everything. And I'm also not super duper familiar with like the comics or anything. So I can't really say a, a whole lot on that front. But um, but like to, to be totally honest, like I want the movies to be successful and I'm glad that there's like, you know, kind of like a fun, like rated R um, superhero thing going on out there. That's not, you know, like, uh, I don't know, like grim, you know, like uh, Dark Knight, you know, like gritty reboot, like bullshit. Um, but I really just like the kind of humor that Deadpool does is not really like the kind of humor that I enjoy in movies like and I, like, whenever I saw the first one, I had kind of a similar reaction because everybody was like, oh, it's, like, changing the game on superhero movies, and it's really, like, you know, like, new and fresh, and it's unlike any superhero movie I've ever seen before. And I'm like, okay, well, like, actually, it's, like, exactly like every superhero movie I've seen before, except for he the word fuck is in it, like, a thousand times. Like, literally, the first movie is a story about... It's an origin superhero story, so that already makes it, like, half the superhero movies out there. And it's a story of... Boy gets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back, which is like only the most commonly used theme in Hollywood movies, like ever. So I'm like all of literature and movies. Yeah, yeah, totally. (laughs) So like when I saw it, like you know there was some funny stuff in it, and I enjoyed that it was like you know really violent, and that you know there was like a hard R like all the way. But at the end of the day, I was like, okay, this is like this isn't really that like original. And I know we could do the whole like, well, what is truly original? Because like you know there is no, there's only like. I think I learned in, like, senior year of literature class that there's only, like, 10 or 11, like, base story types you can do, and, like, that's basically it, or else oh, you... I, I think it's, like, I think it's, like, seven. Oh, is it I think seven? There's like nine. Okay. It's, like, even less than yeah. that, totally. so, I mean, you know, it's, like, okay, like, how can you tr- be truly original? But, like, you know, for everybody to be, like, oh, my God, it's so fresh, it's so original, I've never seen a superhero movie like this before, like, I came away just being, like, okay, like, like, yeah, they, like, maybe he says fuck a lot, maybe there's, like, sex in it, but, like, really, it's, like, the exact same as every superhero movie, and... I kind of felt similarly about Deadpool too. Like I kind of went in knowing that like, okay, you know, I'm probably not going to love this, but I, I basically wanted to see it because it had the same director and the same cinematographer and one of the same editors from the movie Atomic Blonde with Charlize Theron. And I am like obsessed with that movie. And so I was like, okay, like, you know, David Leach is the director. He started out, he co-directed John Wick, which I don't like that movie, but a lot of people love it. And I understand why a lot of people love it. And then he went on and did Atomic Blonde, which I thought was a far superior movie to John Wick because it had actual fight choreography and it didn't just look like watching someone play a third person shooter, which is what I think the John Wick movies look like. And so I was like, okay, like, let's see what he can do with Deadpool. Like, maybe it's going to have really badass action. Maybe it's going to have, like, really great action choreography because that's, like, David Leach's whole thing. He was Brad Pitt's stunt double for, like, 20 years. And he, like, uh, works with this uh, action choreography, like, martial arts house called, I think it's called 8711, like, Action Studio or something like that. So, like, his whole thing is, like action choreography and he's got like all like the best stuntmen and the best stunt coordinators and all this stuff but like it wasn't even like the action wasn't very good in Deadpool 2 and that was like kind of like the thing that I went to go see it for like it did it had a lot of action sequences and they were all you know like explosive and 
you know, there was like car chases and like all this stuff, but it was just like, like if I had watched it, I would have never been like, oh, David Leach must have directed this because the action is so good. And then on top of that, like the story as a whole kind of like didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Like the whole thing about Deadpool 2 is like Cable is in it and he's like this time traveling cyborg dude from the future and he's like the main villain. But like in the movie, he just kind of like shows up a quarter of the way through it. And I mean, obviously he travels back in time because that's like his thing in the movie. But like he kind of sort of like didn't seem like the main villain. And like really there was kind of like another main villain that the movie didn't really dwell on that much. And I mean, the point of Deadpool 2, like the the premise of it is that there's a mutant kid um, who's in this, like, house, because it's, you know, it's kind of based on, like, the X-Men territory. There's, like, a mutant kid who's living in this house, and the guy who, like, runs the house is trying to, like, reform them, um, you know, to, like, not have their mutant powers. It's kind of, like, seems like a religious kind of thing. And, like, the kid is, he has, like, flame power, so he can, like, shoot flames out of his hands and stuff. And he's, like, this kind of, like, fat, bullied, like, New Zealand kid. And I guess, like, in the future, he becomes, like, kind of, like, a mass murderer with his flaming powers, and Cable witnessed that, and so Cable goes back in time to, like, prevent him from, I guess, like, he basically wants to kill him when he's young. It's kind of like Looper, that movie with Bruce Willis. Like, he wants to kill him when he's young, so that way he doesn't grow up to be this, like, flaming mass murderer dude, and then Deadpool wants to, instead of murdering this kid, because he's, like, 15 or something, he wants to try to, like, recruit him kind of into the x-force and like make sure that he keeps his powers under control so it's like the main point of the movie but like i just like didn't i don't know like it was fine like it was good but it was just like i would never watch it again i didn't really think a lot of the jokes were that funny like it's kind of of the mind where it thinks that humor is just, like, referencing a bunch of stuff, and I don't really think that's funny. Like, th- throughout the whole movie, he's, like, talking about, like, other Marvel movies, and, like, he talks about the movie Logan, and, like, I don't, like, talking about Avengers movies isn't, when you're not in them, like, isn't, like, that's not humor. It's just, like, not, I don't know. It just, like, isn't that funny. Like, there were, like, three or four jokes in the movie that I laughed at, but everything else I was just, like, oh, haha, like, that's kind of funny, and uh, and I just, I don't know. And, like, they talk about, like, dubstep, like, three distinct times in the movie. And, like, <laughs> and like, th- like, de- like whatever. If they had talked about dubstep in the first movie, which came out, like, two years ago, it would have been a dated reference then. And for right. some reason, they, like, kept bringing it up in this movie and, like, breaking the fourth wall and talking about dubstep. Like, Deadpool asks Cable if dubstep is still a thing in the future. And I'm like, dubstep already isn't a thing now. Like, the, like it kind of, like, had its turn. It kind of, like, went away. And, like, so it, it was just, like, a super dated. And I was like, this isn't, like, that relevant. And it's not that funny. And they bring it up, like, three times in the movie. And... I was just like, man, it just kind of seems like the movie sat on a shelf in a movie studio for like, like, I don't know, like six or seven years. And like, maybe the references would have been funnier then, but I don't know. Like, it's fine. It's a fine movie. I'm sure I know it has its audience and I know that I'm not 100% its audience, but I just walked out of the theater being like, okay, like that was fine. Like, I don't know. It was kind of disappointing, (laughs) but 
I, I mean, I went in knowing that I probably wasn't going to love it, but I wanted to give it a chance anyway. And I was just like, okay, like, that's fine, I guess. There we go. That is that is classic Corey Motley. Oh, right there. Man. It was fine. I was disappointed. It was fine. <laughs> like, that is, that is, I'm going to get a shirt for you that says that because that is so Corey. That's 100% Corey Motley. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, I, that sounds kind of like what I expected. Uh, I mean, just, uh, for me, I've, I don't think I've ever, ever read a single Deadpool comic. I know of him and it seemed like everybody that really liked him when he was only a comic book character was really fucking irritating. So like all of his <laughs> fans were like, I was like, Oh God, you guys really, I mean, not, I'm sure, I'm sure not everybody who likes Deadpool is irritating. I'm just saying that like, I used to work I used to run two comic shops. I used to uh, work in comic shops. I went to comic conventions uh, to run them, and like every time I met a Deadpool fan, they were like the most irritating fans <laughs> that I would meet. Like, and I'm, you know, I don't mean to generalize. I'm generalizing, but that's just so I stayed away. I'm like, I don't want to read this because just the association, you know. Um, and apologies if there's anybody who's actually cool and likes Deadpool. So I'm sure there's a couple people out there. Uh, so I don't know anything about the comics at all. I mean, I knew you know what he was about in general, and then I was super not excited to see the first. Deadpool movie but then everybody was like talking about it so much and I think I think it hit at a moment when like me and my wife had like nothing to do like we wanted to just watch something I think we actually even rented it or I don't think we went to the theater but I think we just rented it on iTunes or something like that and I remember thinking oh that was totally like not terrible like it was you know I think I laughed a couple times and I think I think you're right in saying that Ryan Reynolds is is born to play that role like I mean I know that he is personally a fan and has you know it was it was through his actions you know, talking to directors and stuff that the movie even happened in the first place. So, I mean, cool, you know, props to him for bringing his dream role to life and all that. But I mean, I, I thought the first one was fine. I thought it was good, better than expected. Um, not perfect. And I did think it was kind of hilarious that even though it's not really a part of the MCU, like you could totally tell, like they wanted it to be part of the MCU. Like they, in the first movie, they, they filmed some stuff in the background that was taken from the other Marvel movies and they referenced the other Marvel movies as if it was in the same world, you know? So I thought that was like, Oh, how weird. Like, if you squint, like, it totally looks like it's part of the MCU, but it's really not. But I, I kind of enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, so I'll, I will uh, I will check this out. Um, I, I would like to see it in the theater just because we're kind of on a movie kick lately. Uh, but I'm not, like, my hopes are not super high. I mean, I'm not, like, you know, I'm not, you know, basing my joy as a human being on whether this film is funny <laughs> or not. But I, I do want to ask, though, I do want to ask, uh, how was Domino in this movie? Because people kind of made a big deal about her being in this movie... Uh, I mean, what was your impression of her character? Uh, I mean, I think the... And I'm not familiar with the actress who played her. I know... She, I think she's in the TV show Atlanta, I want to say, with Donald Glover. Um, yeah, that's what, I've, that's what I've heard. I've actually never seen that show, but I would like to watch it. Yeah, I haven't either. I have no doubt in my mind that it's a great show, but I just haven't seen it. But, um, I, I mean, I, I think that she did well with the role, but I think that the character of Domino is just kind of dumb because, like, her superpower, quote-unquote, is being lucky, or at least that's how they present it in the movie. And, like, her and Deadpool go back and forth when they first meet, and he's like, that's not a superpower. And she's like, yeah, I think it is. And he's like, being lucky is not a superpower. And they have this whole, like, back-and-forth thing. And so basically in the movie, like, she does, like, kick some ass here and there. Like, you know, she has some fights. She knows how to use guns and everything. But it's, like, there's a bunch of action sequences wrapped around here where it's basically... And this is, like, part of her superpower, which is just, like, a bunch of stuff 
coincidentally happening to work out for the best for her. And, like, it's kind of neat. Like, maybe she's driving a car in this car chase situation and, like, other cars are, like, wrecking around her in a way that, like, lets her go down the street. Or, like, she wrecks a car and it happens in a way where, like, I don't know, she doesn't get injured. Or, you know, it's just, like, little stuff like that. But at the end of the day, like, it didn't really feel like she had a superpower. Like, I know that's her thing, but, like... It was just, like, everything was, like, reactionary happening around her, and it wasn't really, like, she was causing anything to happen. It kind of reminded me of, like, Fortune and Metal Gear Solid 2, where, like, she has, like, the dodging bullets ability thing, but really it's, like, not a superpower. It's just, like, the thing she's wearing. Kind of reminded me of that, where she, like, I don't know, like, thinks she has a superpower, but she kind of doesn't, but she kind of does. And, I don't know, her character was, like, okay. I mean, she was, I don't know, she was fine i don't know the whole thing is just fine in all lowercase letters like i don't know man <laughs> all right all right cool cool cool. i will uh i think me and gina are probably going to try to find a time when we can go watch it but uh, i will i will report back to you once we have partaken of the deadpool deadpool dose uh i will let you know um let's uh if you have any, any final thoughts before i jump over to my movie now we can switch our gears all right let's switch gears i the whole family and I went to go see Ready Player One the other weekend. I, in fact, I, I don't. I thought I think I had thought Solo was out by that time. And in fact, just as a little interesting side note, there's been like seven different times when I thought that fucking Han Solo movie was out, and then it wasn't out. I agree, one hundred percent. I, I feel like maybe the the PR team on that movie has had some mistakes made because I I did not know when it was coming out. <laughs> I kept going to the theater wanting to buy a ticket, and then it's like, oh, it's like in another two weeks. Oh, it's like next week. Oh, oh. Like, I couldn't fucking tell you when that goddamn movie was out. I, like, I got to get that messaging straight on that one. Anyway, so we went to go see Ready Player One. Uh, and uh, so I've never read the book. I heard that the book was really, really successful, but then after Gamergate and all that stuff happened, I started hearing that that guy was, like, kind of a Gamergator, or he was... Gamergate adjacent or something like that. I don't know if that's true or I don't know what his deal is. Um, and then and then it was like, oh, you know, the intense backlash from the Twitter critical review sphere. It was just, like so tiresome because everybody was like, <laughs> oh, this movie is just, uh, you know, nostalgia the movie or reference the movie or cameo the movie. And like, I mean, it was like a sport how like how many people could dump on this movie aggressively. And, you know, gain critical cred from it. I, I found the whole thing really exhausting because I'm like, number one, it's just a movie. You know, people will enjoy it. Not everybody is in the, the critical Twitter sphere. So, like, there's plenty of people out there in the country who don't, you know, don't partake of your snark and maybe haven't read the book and don't know what it's about. I mean, this is going to be just like a sci-fi movie to probably the majority of people who see it. Like, they're not in that whole circle, right? So, like... Everybody just taking turns dunking on it. I just found it to be really, just really tiresome. And then, and then there was like the whole wave of people who, even after dunking on it, went to go see it, paid money to see it, and then came back so they could dunk on it even harder. It was like a hate watch for a lot of people. I'm like, why did you even bother? Like, you, <laughs> you spent all this time hating on it. Why did you even bother? So, anyway, I didn't see it at the time. And with all this stuff in my head, I'm like, I'm just going to go to it. I'm just going to take it as it is. I'm just going to, like, put all that stuff aside. I just want to see what is it like as a film. 
Steven Spielberg, I mean, maybe he hasn't been on fire lately, but I think no one would argue he's a very gifted director. He's con- contributed a lot to movies over the years. I'm, I'm going to give this guy a chance. I think he's probably <laughs> worth taking a chance this on. This up-and-coming filmmaker. <laughs> <clears throat> if he sticks with it, he'll be, you know, he'll make something of himself one day. <clears throat> I mean, he's only like one of the most successful directors of all fucking time. So, yeah, I guess I'll, I guess I'll maybe give him a chance. Um, so we went to go see it, and I thought it was pretty good. Like, I think it was okay. I mean, it wasn't amazing. Uh, the story was not fantastic, I think. So basically the gist of it is, I mean, I guess how familiar are you with the whole the whole thing? Um, I'm going to try to recite the plot <clears throat> to you, not having seen the movie or read the book, and you tell me how close I am. How does that sound? Uh, I love when we do this. This is my favorite Corey. Okay, I, I'm pretty sure I know what this, what this movie is about because I read a bunch of reviews for it. It's about, like, in the future, it's in the Midwest, and everything's dumpy, and it's kind of post-apocalyptic, and there is a virtual reality, like, place that people go to called the oasis and a bunch of kids and teenagers go there and they can like live the lives that they've always wanted to live because that's the whole premise about ready player one is like it's basically about like losing yourself in the internet and the internet being able to like elevate you to a higher status and like you can uh discard like where you're from and your race and your nationality and whatever and you can just exist in this virtual plane with all these people and the guy who invented the Oasis dies or something, and he leaves, like, three keys behind, and whoever finds the keys gets to, like, run the Oasis. And then the kid, the main kid in the movie, he's played by Ty Sheridan, who was, I think, Cyclops in the newest X-Men movie, Young Cyclops, um, like, tries to find the keys and has, like, a girlfriend and some shit. Okay, so you don't need to see the movie because you've basically recited the entire movie to me. <laughs> I can't believe I've not read the book or seen the movie, and I know that much about it. You have, you have, you just that is the script, like exactly. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So basically, that's it. I mean, the so the Oasis is like, <coughs> excuse me, is a VR world where like everybody goes to because the world is this like this dystopian shithole, and so like there's pollution and crowding and corporatized everything and everybody's getting spied on and no one has an identity because it's all been stolen and blah 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 it's just gross and you know nasty future world and um everybody goes to the oasis like literally everybody like the kids on the street the old people the adults i mean like everybody's in this vr thing because everybody like you said can be who they want to be they can look like what they want to look like it's you know you can be in a beautiful world doing whatever you want to do so it's way better than reality and the guy who creates it dies. He makes these keys. Anybody that finds the keys can take over. And then there's this corporation who want to, like, monetize it. So, like, they give this this uh, example of they show the VR, like, lens or something that people are looking through. And they're like, oh, we can totally stick, like, click ads in, like, 85% of the view screen before people have seizures. So we'll have, like, all these advertisements on it. And, you know, and, of course, like, all the people who are in it are like, no, no, save the Oasis. It's really cool and nice and we got to keep it the way it is. So on one level, I think it's fine and it totally functions as a really like kind of very approachable, very relatable sci-fi premise. On the other hand, I mean, if you do view it through the Gamergate lens, which I mean, I guess is, you know, is something that you should do on one level. It, it definitely does have that feeling of like, oh, if you're a nerd on the net and you know trivia mm-hmm. and you know about games then you are like a better person or you are like a smarter, cooler person. So it does feel like Gamergate wish fulfillment in some ways, or, or or at the very least like a geek wish fulfillment where, you know, the guy who played games his whole life ends up getting the girl and ends up being the hero and is the reason why everything is cool. So it does it does very much feel like that kind of a that kind of a thing. So there's there's that element to it. But 
Um, in terms of the actual story, very much by the numbers. Like, it, it plays out kind of exactly like you would expect. Uh, there, There's not a lot of time spent on personal development. It didn't bother me that much. I know that Gina was, said she wanted more character development, and I don't disagree with her. I think she's correct in saying that. And I did kind of think that it was cheesy that, like, the guy gets the girl at the end, and it was all fine, and... And one of uh, Gina's points, she felt like they the, the main leads fell in love too quickly. And I totally agree with that. Like, it was like they only met and then, like, in the next scene, like, the guy loves her and then they kind of, like, are kind of a couple. Which is totally not the most satisfying viewing and didn't really convince me. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, that totally happens on the internet. Like, <laughs> you know, you hear somebody in, like, some chat room and, like, they're proposing to somebody two weeks later or something. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, yeah, that probably happens. Um, but, like, putting all that stuff aside visually like in terms of spectacle pretty amazing um the graphics i'm like most of the movie is like cg in one way or another when they're inside the oasis and stuff and like graphics are pretty amazing uh everything was really really well done super i mean they must have spent like a billion dollars on special effects the opening scene is like they're in this race like this like violent death race and they're trying to get the key at the end and like Every vehicle in the race is, like, a vehicle that you've seen from something else. Like, the, the main uh, girl has, like, the bike from Akira, and the hero is driving the the, car, the DeLorean from Back to the Future, and there's, like, um, Bigfoot, like, the monster truck is in there. and I mean, like, li- like, literally everything in this movie that you see is something taken from somewhere else. So it's, like, all the characters, all of the monsters. They even go through this one section of the movie where they're... Um, having all these different guns pop up. It's like everybody in the movie has their own like in-game inventory. And so when they're doing adventures, like the inventory pops up and they select like what weapon they want to use. And there's like, there's like the Lancer from like Gears of War and there's like Master Chief's gun. And there's like all these other like, like super like identifiable guns from video games. So like maybe it didn't mean anything to a lot of people, but the nerds, including myself, I apparently uh, got all the references. So, and, and Winnie says he got them too. So yes, you did. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, from, if you want to just watch it just for the fun of like spotting the cameos and seeing like what characters they popped, popped in and like the battle sequences I thought were really cool. I mean that, I mean, visually it was pretty amazing and I'm really glad I saw the big screen because it would not play nearly as well on like a regular TV. Um, but other than, other than the the sci-fi special effects angle, eh, you know, it was fine. I mean, it wasn't something that made me want to light the world on fire and I wasn't angry about watching it, but you know, I mean, it was okay. It was okay. sounds like we had similar movie going experiences then. Yeah. Yeah. It was fine. It was fine. I was disappointed, but it was fine. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, we are on a limited time here. So why don't we roll ahead into games if that's okay with you? Uh, it's okay with me. All right, dude, let's roll. Let's talk about some games. Ooh. 